day. Amen. I stand in awe. For we serve a mighty God. And my soul wonders about the amazing, the amazing grace of our Lord. Would you turn your attention with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? And we will be reading beginning in verse 16. If you have it, say amen. amen. And if I preach the gospel, the euangelion, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. I am compelled. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do not, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then that when I preach the euangelion, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Bless you, O oh God. You alone are able to touch a broken heart and to heal it. And today we, we need you, O oh Lord, just to meet us right where we are. You know. And Father, we humbly submit to what you're going to say and do because we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank the praise and worship team for ministering to us again in song. And Amen. We don't take what we have here at New Direction for granted. We want to thank the musicians. Two young single brothers, marriage eligible. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask to get my mic turned down just a little bit. Yeah. Christ strong, brothers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. New members class attendees. Christ strong. Discipleship attendees, changed by the life-transforming word, brothers. We love these young men and are so grateful that they're here. In 1965, the Four Tops came out with one of the most memorable and classic hits for Motown. Some of you may know the words. Sugar pie, honey bunch. You know that I love you. I can't help myself. I love you and nobody else. In and out of my life, you come and you go, leaving just your picture behind. And I've kissed it a thousand times. When you snap your finger, 
or wink your eye. I come running to you. I'm tied to your raping strings. And there's nothing that I can do. I can't help myself. No, I can't help myself. Sugar pie honey bunch. I'm weaker than a man should be. I can't help myself. I'm a fool in love, you see. Want to tell you I don't love you, tell you that we're through. And I've tried, but every time I see your face, I get all choked up inside. When you call my name, girl, it starts the flame burning in my heart, tearing it apart. No matter how I try, my love, my love, I cannot hide, because sugar pie honey bunch, I'm weaker than a man should be. I can't, I can't help myself. As I read the lyrics and recited them in preparation for our message today, I could, help, could not help but notice that no less than seven times the composer of that song says, I can't help myself. The songwriter didn't leave any room for doubt about his feelings and how they rendered him helpless for his love. He couldn't help himself. He was a fool in love. His love kept him running and chasing after the one he loved. Just a wink of her eye and a smile from her face. Have you ever been in love like that? Oh, you may not want to admit it. Have you ever enjoyed something or someone so much that that person or thing literally rendered you helpless? You were at their mercy. If they weren't happy, you weren't happy. If they were happy, you were happy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I can't help myself. I am compelled out of necessity to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Underlying those three words, I am compelled or out of necessity in the New King James Version. The Apostle Paul wants to leave an indelible impression in the mind of his readers that when it comes to talking about Jesus, the good news concerning his death, burial, and resurrection, he could not refrain. He was compelled out of necessity. He could not help himself from telling everybody about somebody who made a nobody into somebody. Unfortunately, Paul's compulsion, Paul's 
urge to tell others about Christ is not something that is characteristic of the church today. Unfortunately, it is said, and I'm entitled to, or I'm inclined to believe that for every 85 Christians, every 85 church professing Christians, one person is reached for Christ. So for every 85 church members, there's going to be one person that that 85 group is going to reach out and somebody will respond to Christ with a yes. Pray for me. Now, I want to consider with you just four things that the Apostle Paul reveals in the Word of God that made it an urgency for him to tell others about Jesus. First, the word compulsion. Say compulsion. Secondly, we're going to look at the word commitment. Thirdly, say Christ is love. And finally, keeping up with the alliterations, let's say conflict, conflict between two kingdoms. Compulsion made it impossible for Paul to keep silent when it came to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can't boast, he said. I'm compelled. Woe to me if I do not preach. The word compelled or necessity comes from the Greek word anakrimnon. Anakrimno in the Greek, and you'll soon forget that. And it literally means to be hemmed in, to hold, to be held on both sides, to take away all options, to give no way out, to be backed into a corner, to be hemmed in, to be held on both sides, to have no other option, to be backed into a corner. You can only go one way. The word is actually a business or contractual term that has to do with how it is rendered in other portions of the word of God. The word compelled or necessity is often translated obligation, debt, or duty. And what Paul is declaring when he talks about a compulsion, this necessity to share, he is saying, based on my personal encounter with Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. When he saved me by the completed work that was accomplished on the cross, salvation resulted in a deposit of the Holy Spirit who is now living in me, indwelling me, that makes me in Christ a brand new creation and that supernatural transaction that occurred at the moment I said yes to Jesus has compelled me, made me in debt, gave, given me an obligation to tell everybody about Jesus because what I have will set them free in the same way that I have been delivered for my personal sins. 
In Romans chapter 14, in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says, I am obligated both to Greek and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the euangelion, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, also to those who are in Rome. Paul says, I am in debt. I am obligated. I have a duty. I'm hemmed in uh, from, from both sides. I have no other option but to tell you, because when you get this kind of experience that I have had in Christ, there's a yearning to release to others what God has deposited into our lives, namely the Holy Spirit that enables us to tell others so that they too can have a personal relationship with Jesus. In verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the, UN, it is the dunamis of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentiles as well. Paul says, encapsulated in the gospel of Jesus, his death, his burial and resurrection is the omnipotence of God. Every time you share the good news about Christ, every, in, every, every ounce of God's divine power is released through that message. The same power that spoke this world into existence. When God said, let there be, and nothing became something, that is the kind of dunamis that is encapsulated in the simple gospel that is foolishness to those who are perishing. So the reason the gospel works when you share it with those who the God of this world has blinded the minds of them, lest they believe not, is because the omnipotence of God, the all-powerfulness of God is released. And so Paul said, I'm compelled. I've got something that is so amazing, so life-changing, so powerful that if I could just get the word to everyone who's not heard, God can take that word and bring back from death that which was dead and give it life. Paul says, I'm, I'm hemmed in. I'm backed up against the wall. i got this power that God wants to release through me. Paul says, I can't help myself because I'm compelled. Do you feel compelled to share the word of God to others about Jesus? I'm not saying inviting people to church. That's cool. That's nice. I'm not talking about sending a Bible verse, uh, text messaging or Instagram. That's cool, too. But when is the last time you felt a compulsion where you, you felt like you had no other option? I can't hang up on this person. I may not see them again. They may not see another day because our life is like a vapor. We're here today and we're gone today. And so I'm not going to take a chance that if this person doesn't hear the good news concerning Christ, this may be their last time. God says today is the day of salvation. When you hear my word regarding being rescued from the power and the penalty of sin, don't harden your heart. But the power of sin is broken through the dunamis of the gospel. We have these multivitamins that, you know, after you get a certain age, you know, I'm, I'm getting close to 50 every, every other year. 
And that, that vitamin is supposed to be able to address so many different aspects of our need in, our, in terms of our anatomy. But no vitamin that man could ever make could do for our souls what the gospel is capable of doing. Now, I work with hospice, and uh, I've been in the room many times when nurses have pronounced patients dead, when they've said that they, their lives have ended. And it's really interesting, if you happen to be at home and someone calls 911, the paramedics will come, and the first thing that they will do is check for a pulse or check for breathing passages. They will see if you are still properly breathing. If you're not, they will begin to perform by obligation unless you are do not resuscitate a DNR. And if you want to be a DNR, you need to let folks know so they don't come and do chest compressions and they're not doing uh, intubations and all those kinds of things. But anyway, they do CPR. They're obligated to do that, to do everything to sustain life until they get you to the hospital. Now, if while they are doing CPR, it becomes necessary because your heart stops to have a thing called a defibrillator. Boom! Hits your heart and kind of restarts it, jumps it electronically, and they'll do that about maybe a max of three times, and if it doesn't happen, they, they basically, they say it's over, but they can't pronounce you. Only a doctor can pronounce you. So they take you to the hospital, and the hospital gets to the doctors, and the doctors almost start the whole thing all over again. They can start the chest compressions and get tubes running, but you're dead and gone. And then, but if you, they check your pulse, and, that you, and they see that you haven't been breathing, there's no pulse for three minutes, you are pronounced dead. You're gone. Now, it doesn't matter what technology the hospital has to offer. It doesn't matter how new the facilities are. Once you are dead, there is no human instrument, there's no human individual that can bring back that which is dead back to life. But Paul said this gospel that has the power of God is the defibrillator of God. You see, we were born in trespasses and sin. The Bible said we were dead. We were born dead on arrival. But when we share the good news of Christ, the defibrillator of the gospel will touch that which is dead, and it will quicken it, will make it alive. And the Bible says, therefore, we've been washed and we've been made alive by the Spirit when the gospel goes forth and people receive it. Are you compelled? Do you understand you have a debt to the Lord? He deposited in you his spirit, and he intends for you to fulfill your obligation to him to tell others. Paul said, I tell everybody because of what Jesus did to me. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the worst of sinners. When you understand what the Lord did for you, you were that dead person. CPR didn't work for us in our spiritually lost state. We needed nothing less than the omnipotence of God. Only the omnipotence of God can bring a dead sinner back to life. It took all of the power of God to resurrect that which was dead and separated from him. Paul says commitment is another reason why I can't help myself. Oh, man, I've never seen a woman who got engaged that didn't want somebody to see a ring. <laughs> Little five-cent ring. <laughs> I saw him steal it from somebody. <laughs> she don't care how he got it. She's not even really. Now, some sisters, they're going to say, wait a minute. I saw that in the Cracker Jack box. 
But seriously, when a man you love proposes to you, you don't put the ring under a pillow and hide it. You, 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 you are compelled. You want everybody necessity. You want the world to know I'm no longer available. Somebody has asked for my hand. Paul says, commitment commands, commitment to, to the command to risk everything to reach everybody. In verses 17 through 23, we're not going to read all those verses, but he says, I preach, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. He says, I have been given a stewardship. You and I have been given responsibilities, not just the keeping Christ close ministry or uh, 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 cross-cultural ministries uh, uh, responsibility to reach others for Christ. Evangelism is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. That's why Christ said, let your light so shine. Be ready to give an answer to every man who asks if a reason of the hope that is within you, you have a hope. And so you should always be ready to give an answer. And so he says, I have been discharged. I have been instructed and given marching orders by the Lord himself to be committed to proclaiming the good news to everybody about Jesus. Listen to this. Sharing the gospel is a voluntary obligation. How can it be an obligation to be voluntary? <laughs> it's a voluntary obligation because you have to choose to be obedient. Now, you, if you choose not to obey, you're disobedient, but it's still voluntary because God does not force you against your will to be obedient. It is a trust Jesus committed to every Christian you are required to choose. If you choose not, as I've already said, Paul said, woe to me if I preach not the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. Woe to me. What happens when you refuse to keep your stewardship as a witness for Christ about how others can be saved, especially starting in our Jerusalem, in our family, you ought to feel woe. That means to be in anguish, to feel pain, to come under conviction. When you withhold the truth that could save somebody from a Christless eternity, it ought to make you lose sleep. It ought to make you weep. And what we're going to talk about next time, what makes God cry? There are very few times in the Bible where you hear God crying, but it's always over the consequences of sin. Paul says, woe to me. I, I, I'm uncomfortable. I'm in anguish. I, I, I'm brought under conviction. Sharing reveals your commitment to fulfill the will of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering. He is patient. Towards us, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come unto repentance. And so when I'm committed to sharing Christ with others, I'm fulfilling the will of God for my life as a Christian. It is not God's will that anyone should die not knowing Jesus. 
The worst thing that could happen to a person is not they die from cancer or some other incurable disease or be gunned down in the, in the prime of their life. The worst thing that could happen is that you die without Jesus and spend a Christless eternity in hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil don't get mad if we come to church. He all right with we hollering and shouting and enjoying Christ and high-fiving the holy huddle. You know, we call him plays. We ain't ever going on the field now. We ain't going to ever run a play. But let's, that song, no, not that song. That scripture, not that scripture. You know, oh, yeah. Man, I bet you that wouldn't work. Yeah, it would work if we ever tried it. But Jesus said, but when you have received the Holy Spirit, you shall become my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Christ said, now that we've received, the comforter has come. He's not only with you, but he is living in you. And you have the power of the gospel in you through the word of God to reach others. For Jesus, sharing reveals your commitment to filling God's will. Sharing the gospel should result from your commitment rather than your circumstances. Circumstances are subjective. You may feel like it or you may not. It may be a little intimidating if you share with some folks because they may reject the message. The Bible says, Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Our job is just to follow. It's his job. The results are his responsibility. We should follow. Our problem is, God says, I want you to be fishers of men, but we've decided to be keepers of the aquarium. And here we're looking at the fish. Yeah, that's a big one right there. I think that's a drug dealer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's that. Well, yeah, he must be a, a slave trafficker. Yeah, he looks kind of kind of mean there. Oh, man, it's nice to have a nice aquarium. The Lord didn't call us to stay. He called us to go. And the prayer was, trouble them, Lord. When you go back to the book of Acts, when the church started, and that's the only book in the Bible that's not complete in terms of history, the, church, the history of the church is still being recorded as we are being obedient to the Lord. The Lord had to stir up trouble, persecution, before the church would go out. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to a church is that they have problems. We don't want no problems. Oh, they got problems at that church. Any church that you join, as soon as you join, even if there weren't any problems, guess what? You took some there because none of us. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell you something that nobody else knew, but none of us are perfect. So circumstances are subjective. They are based on how you feel and what the situation may be and, and what they might say to you. And if they, you say it, then you're not going to be like. But the Bible says you are in the world, but not to be of the world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good. And You know what I'm saying, amen? <laughs> Commitment is objective. I don't love my wife because I always feel bubbly in my stomach. Sometimes I do. But I love her because I am committed to her with unconditional love. And so commitment is objective, is based on the act of the will that God, in spite of our circumstance, he didn't do it because he had a gushy uh, romantic feeling for us. He did it in spite of us. That's what commitment does. 
It's my job. It's my obligation. I'm compelled. I'm backed up against the wall. If I don't tell them how to know Jesus, I'm never going to see the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 13, until the gospel of the kingdom has been spread throughout the world. Jesus said, I'm not coming back. You may be the one that is keeping the Lord from coming back because you haven't told that last person that needs to know that Jesus died for them and he was buried and he rose again. Commitment is objective. Here's what Acts chapter 4, this blessed me. Peter and John were taken before the Sanhedrin, a man, and this is what happens in the power of the gospel. When you feel the spirit of God, people who were lame for it for all their lives, you can pray over them, they'll be healed. Not because you're so sweet and so gifted and stuff, but they said, in the name of Jesus, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the brother got up. Not only did he start walking. See, when you've been dead and you understand that the Lord has resurrected you, that your stuff really did stink, that if it wasn't for what Jesus did, you'd still be lost, you will shout about it. You will celebrate it. The man who was lame, he got up and he ran in the temple. I can see that brother doing the moonwalk. I'm shouting and praising God. Because he was healed. And so when the Pharisees saw that the men, they didn't have a problem with the miracle. The world and the devil don't have a problem with miracles in the church. Don't have a problem with good singing in the church. They have a problem with the miracle worker. Their issue was that they had healed the man in the name of Jesus. And so Peter and John, the Bible says in chapter 4, it says, So they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But here's what commitment will do. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, I'm going to obey God. I will, be, I will burn before I bend. I'm committed to the truth. I'm going to go forward and tell what the Lord said because it's my stewardship. It's my obligation. You have a duty. You have a deposit in your soul called the Holy Spirit, and the Lord wants you to be paying it out through the word that leads to salvation. Some years ago, actually in 1985, the city of New Orleans was celebrating that there had not been a single death at any of their public pools for a whole summer. And so 200 guests were invited. They all gathered. 100 of the guests were lifeguards, certified lifeguards, and they had a party. They had, you, you want some ribs, go to New Orleans. You want some tea? They had a time. They really enjoyed themselves. And then after the party was over, the four lifeguards who were assigned to the pool where the party occurred, they saw a man floating face down in the deep end of the pool. He had drowned. There were 100 certified lifeguards at that party, but the men drowned. I want you to know that, that that's kind of how it is in the church. We fill up the church, and we say, oh, we love Jesus, and so forth, but the world is drowning in sin. And instead of us diving in with the word of God that can reach them and save them and change them, we're partying and celebrating Christ. Didn't I get my praise on? The Lord wants us rescuing those who are in the deep end of sin. Commitment. Paul says, 
out of necessity, if I don't do it voluntarily, I have a stewardship. Just like you're supposed to give, that's, your, that's a responsibility. It also is your responsibility to share Christ. That's why you ought to be here next Sunday for the, for the, the teenage missionaries that are going to be here. So they can teach us how to go into a world and share where God wants us to share. Somebody say amen. We're almost done. Here's another reason. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's still talking about this compulsion, this necessity, this being hemmed in and held down from both sides, having no option but one option. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ makes it necessary for certain things because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. The apostle is saying, I can't help myself because of the love of Christ. It compels me. It restrains me. Let me share some things about the love of Christ that ought to make you want to tell somebody about him. The first thing about his love, it's a crazy love. It's, it don't make no sense kind of love. Why would you love somebody like that? He ain't going to love you. You know how we is, somebody treats you bad. Why are you going to love them and they messing up and knowing stuff and hurting you? You should, you should treat them the same. Isn't that, I, I don't know about you, but uh, their time. Amen? If you're in your flesh and you're honest, but the love of God is a crazy love. Listen to this. Uh, in, in, in Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 7 and 8, it says, For when we were still without strength, it's a crazy love. In due time, Christ died for the, we were ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man, will he die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare die. But God demonstrated his love for us through Christ Jesus that while we were yet sinners, God proved that beyond the shadow that I love. It's crazy. While we were running from him, while we had our fist in his face, there was none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. We were sinners and on our way to a crisis eternity, but he chased us in the person of his son that we might be saved. It's a crazy love. It's an unconditional love. Even when we are wayward as Christians, he keeps on pursuing us because he chastens those who he loves. It's a crazy love. It's also a continuous love. In Romans chapter 8, verses 39, 38 and 39, it said, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He goes through a whole list of anything that you could think you could ever do or think in your brain to do. He said, nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, oh, I know you thought your woman loved you like that, but nobody can love you like Jesus. He told you he loved you like that, but he's gone. But the, I can tell you that nothing, it's a continuous love. It's also a covering love. You know how when you get cold sometimes, you just need a warm blanket? The Lord's love is like a warm blanket because his love covers a multitude of sin. Whatever you've ever done, past, present, and future, it's a cold cover me, Lord. I need some covering right now. Oh, God, I need some security in you. It's a covering love. It removes all of your sins and my sins. It's a covering love. It's a completing love. Say completing. For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete 
I know you thought if you lost a couple more pounds and you could just get the face right and if you could just get all the cosmetics in place, you would be okay. But no, my completeness is not in my looks. It's not in what I have in my pocket. It's not. It's my completeness and satisfaction comes from him alone. It's a contagious love. You know how you washing your hands a million times? My hands are like like sandpaper. I wash them so much because I'm in the room with people who are dying. The sickest people in the world, I'm with them. And my hands can be like, like. And the reason is you don't want what you are exposed to, you don't want to contract it. Because what you contract, you can spread. And what you spread is contagious to others. Well, there's something that you contracted when you got saved. It's called the love of God that was spread and shed in your heart. God has filled you with his love. You got so much love from God that is endless love that it ought to be overflowing in your life. And when other folk come in contact with you, they ought to know that there's something different about you because the love of Christ is spilling out all around and it's contagious. And therefore, they want what you got. That's why the worst thing you want to be around is an ungrateful Christian. Mad about everything. Pessimistic. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too dark. It's too light. It's too... (laughs) The love of God through Jesus Christ is contagious. People should want to be around you because Jesus is in you. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. It's a contagious love. Are you still with me? It's a covering love, a completing love, a continuous love, a crazy love, but it's also a crucifying love. He died in verses 16 and 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You should be dying to your flesh. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, present progressive tense, are continuing to become new. As you walk in the newness of your life in Jesus, you ought to be dying to selfishness. You ought to be putting the interest of others above your own. You ought to be reflecting the character of God. It's a crucifying love because it breaks the power of sin. Say it breaks the power of sin. You know, you don't have to live by your old desires anymore. The Bible says such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been, re- oh, Lord, let me just move on here. Not only does it break the power of sin, it births the presence and power of the Lord in your life. Somebody say amen. You should, the love of Christ should make you be a person that says, I can't help myself. There's a man who lived in Zimbabwe. He was a Christian leader. And he came in contact with a very angry and violent man who did not know Jesus. And so he he was catching a plane. So he offered the man, he said, look, I want you to take this copy of the New Testament Bible, just the New Testament. And the man looked at him and he laughed. He said, well, I'll take it, but I'll smoke it. So I said, well, okay, okay. So listen, just promise me before you smoke the pages of the Bible that you would read the page. 
And then he left. Fifteen years later, he's at a Christian conference, and here comes this man who said he would smoke the Bible. Now he's a full-time evangelist, and he served the Lord. But he said, I smoke the book of Matthews. <laughs> I smoked the book of Mark. And I smoked the book of Luke. But when I got to John 3, 16, <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he said, I fell on my knees. And from that moment on, I've been telling everybody about Jesus because he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. He the love of Christ ought to compel you to tell others about the love you have from him. Let me conclude with this. Conflict between two kingdoms ought to make you be like Paul, not be able to help you. So he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. This is really interesting. Pleading through us. The us is you and me. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled, to be made and bring brought back into a harmonious relationship with God, a peaceful relationship. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that he might become sin for us. And through his sacrificial death, now we have the righteousness of God through Christ. Say amen. amen. The God of this world is Satan. Sinners are under his authority and oppose God. Saints, and every believer is, you don't have to wait until you die for the Catholic Church to decide if you're a saint. If you're saved, even when you don't act like a saint, you are a saint. At the moment you believe, we are the set-apart ones, and the guy don't have nothing to do with the length of your dress, whether you wear lipstick or earrings or not. The question is, do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. He sets us apart. Now, we need to live a set-apart life, but that, doesn't that does not nullify your, stand your standing with the Lord even when we're disobedient. So we're ambassadors. An ambassador is a representative that is in a foreign country who is representing his king, the interest of his king from a different country. This world is under the authority of Satan. This is not your home. We spend all of our times as if we're going to be here forever. No, you ain't. It's appointed under man. So as ambassadors... Our job is to go into a hostile world. He said, I send you as, as, as lambs amongst wolves. That's why we need to be as wise as what? As a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. So the conflict is between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And as representatives of God, our job on earth is to go into the places where, the, where Satan's strongholds are and represent the interests of Christ that, and the greatest interest that he has is that all men would be saved. And so I'm going to where men and women are in order that they may be reconciled. The Bible says, therefore, we now have peace with God. Through in other words, we want, to we want to provide an opportunity through salvation in Christ for people who are enemies to God to now be in harmony with him. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. Every Christian is an ambassador. That's your job. You're in the army, and your job is to tell others about Jesus so that they can come to the kingdom of God where we are so that they, too, will know the Christ that we love. Amen? There's a conflict 
And because of the conflict, Paul says, I can't help myself. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord, and I'm going to tell everybody. But the way I'm telling, he says, go to them and plead. Beg them. Humble yourself as you go to them and giving them the message. There was a man who was a collector of rare diamonds. He was a billionaire. Would you stand with me? And he read about a diamond that he did not own. He, he, he felt compelled to get it. Necessity said, I got to have this diamond. And so he put an article in the paper, and the article reached the jeweler who owned a jewelry shop, and he looked through his files, and he realized that in his stock, that particular diamond was in his possession. So he sent the letter to the billionaire. He says, the diamond that you want, I have it. Come to my shop, and we'll negotiate the cost. Man, so no problem. I'm a billionaire. I'll be able to handle it if it's the diamond. So what he did, he gave the responsibility of selling the diamond to his top salesman. And so the billionaire walks in. The man takes the diamond out. They sit down, and he begins to explain the history of the diamond, the, the, the particular shape of the diamond, the, the, uh, just going through all the technicalities. And within a few minutes, the billionaire raises his hand. I don't want the diamond. It's not the diamond I want. And he's, he begins to storm out of the shop. And the owner of the shop notices that this billionaire is getting ready to go out without purchasing the diamond. So he hurries over and says, would you please give me a chance to, to tell you about this diamond before you decide that you don't want it? He says, okay, okay. So he sits down. And about five minutes into the presentation, he said, I'll buy it. He wrote a check, an out, astronomical amount for the diamond. And then as he's leaving, he said, why is it that I was convinced to buy the diamond from you, but from the salesman, I was going to walk out. He said, well, let me tell you, he's the, he's the manager of my jewelry shop. He's college educated. He's an expert on diamonds. He knows more about diamonds than anybody I know. He said, but here's the difference between him and me. He knows diamonds, but I love them. We know the Bible. We got our doctrine straight. Eschatology, Christology, Satanology. We got all that straight. But the question is, it's not what you know. It's who do you love? Do you love him? Do you love him? Is there a twinkle in your eye when you're telling folk that don't know him? Do you love him? Do you love him? It's not just enough to know, but you ought to be compelled, committed, Understanding that the conflict, and the conflict is overcome because of Christ's love. He loves me. On my worst day, he loves me. Somebody say amen. Salvation and glory.